We come before you this morning and we thank you that you are our solid foundation. We thank you, God, because we could stand unashamed in your presence this morning because you love us in spite of what's going on in our life right now. And I pray, God, that you would just speak into our lives where we stand before your presence today and we beg you just to speak into our life today. God, that you would transform us, that you would renew our mind through the power of your scripture, through the power of your word. We believe it and we know it to be true that if we anchor ourselves in you, we have nothing to fear. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Wasn't that an amazing song? I love that song. I've been listening to that song for like three weeks in my car, like on repeat. And uh, I'm like, George, you have to sing Cornerstone. And I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. It's an amazing song. It's an amazing thing to remember despite what's happening in our lives. You know, it's a great reminder to just always remember to make Christ the corner of our life. But guys, can you believe it that 2012 is almost over? I mean, where did the time go? Some of you are like, oh, Mark, I can't wait till this year to be over. But seriously, I mean, this year like flew by. You know, the Mayans were wrong. The Mayans were wrong. 2012 wasn't the end of the world. But seriously, you know, the more I think about it, it's like, man, I, I remember like Christmas last year. You know, that's how I gauge my years now, like by how many toys I buy my kids every Christmas. Like, man, I just bought them toys, you know. But, uh, you know, I remember when I was old and I would get annoyed by old people. Anyone here ever get annoyed by old people? And I'm not talking the annoyed, like, you know, like, because you're trying to go to the Macaroni Grill on Pines Boulevard and there's someone turning into Century Village at, like, two miles an hour. That's not the type of annoyed at old people I'm talking about. I'm talking about when I was a kid, it would annoy me when an old person would say, time goes by so fast. I remember when I was like you or when I had my braces or when I was 12, you know, we used to walk five miles in the snow to school, like, all these, like, bogus stories you know, I remember when they would say, oh, you know, I remember I was so rebellious at your age or our music was so much better when we were kids. I remember when I was in high school, you know, and I used to love to get them, you know, and they would ask me like, what year were you born, little boy? And I would say 1978. And, and they would say, oh, that's the year I graduated from high school. And I would start laughing. I'm like, man, you're old. But here's the problem. The crazy thing is that now I'm the old guy, you know. I find myself time and time again telling people, time goes by so fast. You know, I remember when I was in 12th grade. I remember when I was in 6th grade. And the other day, I mean, it really hit me really hard. One of the new guys in the band did a friend request on Facebook. And I, you know, begrudgingly accepted his friend request. No, I'm just kidding. And then I went on his profile. I start looking on his profile. And I see that he was born the year I graduated from high school. And I'm like, no, it's happening. I'm the old guy now. God, why is this happening? My life is flashing before my eyes. And you know, I really think about it all the time, especially when I look at my children. I have a five-year-old boy and a four-year-old boy and a one-year-old girl. And, and it seems like almost every day they just grow up or they learn something new or, or they start doing different things. And I can't believe how fast they're growing up. I remember when my wife was pregnant with Caleb, our firstborn, and, and we spent the entire nine months preparing for Caleb. We totally remodeled our house. We painted the house. We hired people to come and clean the house perfectly so that when he entered, the house would be like 
perfect for him. And, and we bought clothes, more clothes than we needed. And people are like, no, you don't need to buy that much clothes. We're like, yes, we do. And so we bought clothes and we bought new furniture and, and we, we watched videos. Oh, my gosh, the videos, the birthing videos. Watch at your own risk. Um, you know, we went to birthing classes, CPR classes. I mean, all this crazy stuff. And, and, and here's the thing, though. When my wife went into labor and we were in the hospital, I was practically one of the nurses. You know, I had learned so much these nine months preparing for this baby. You know, uh, I was like the doctor's right-hand man. I had like one leg on my shoulder. And I'm like, come on, push, you know. And, and I even knew the breathing patterns. Like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, push, push. You know, I did all this stuff. And, and then the baby was born. And, and seven months later, the craziest thing happened. She was pregnant again. What can I say? I have a gift. And shortly after, we found out that she was pregnant with the second child. We found out that it was another boy. And guess what we did for the next couple of months? Nothing. The house, the room was blue. There was a crib in there. There was a bunch of clothes that didn't fit the other kid anymore. So we just kept folding it and putting it away. We were ready. Or so we thought. And, and, and instead of making time to prepare for baby number two, I didn't. You know, I did the man thing. Nothing. And, uh, and then my wife started having contractions. We went to the hospital. And, and I'm trying to remember. What was all that stuff that I learned? I couldn't remember anything. And as my wife was beginning to give birth to my second child, guess what happened? I passed out. And then all the nurses that were supposed to be helping the doctor give birth to my second child were now attending me. All right, they were putting like uh, uh, towels on my forehead and, 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 you know, taking my blood pressure. And, and they're like, are you okay? You know, they were, and, and one thing I remember when they were putting like the, the smelling salts under my nose was my wife trying to push. And I, are you kidding me, Mark Rodriguez? She was yelling out, are you serious? I wasn't prepared. I didn't prepare myself for the birth of my second child. And it literally knocked me down on my butt. And here's the thing, we all have moments like this in our life, times when we failed to prepare ourselves, times when we fooled ourselves to think that we knew what we were going to get ourselves into. I thought I knew what I was getting myself into. And then the rug was pulled from under my feet. My world began to fall apart, and that's probably happening to some of you here today. See, the same way that I passed out in that labor room floor, some of you here, you know, every single year, you make goals. You make all these New Year's resolutions as you're sipping your fifth glass of champagne. And you know what happens? Nothing. The year begins, the year goes by, and it's worse than last year. And you know what happens many times when things don't go the way we want them to go? We start blaming God. We're like, God, why is this happening in my life? God, why, why are you doing this to me? Why does my life suck? Why is all this terrible stuff happening in my life? And let me tell you something, it doesn't need to be that way. Living life that way is not what God planned for your life. God created us for so much more. God created us to have amazing lives. And I believe that 2013 could be the best year of your life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in a message that I've titled, Possessing Your Future. Today we're going to take a look at the life of one of my heroes in the Bible. His name is Joshua. I love this guy. I love him so much. I named my second child Joshua. You know that General Douglas MacArthur said that Joshua was one of the greatest generals that ever lived. 
And the thing that I like about him is that he accomplished the impossible in spite of incredible odds and opposition. His life was one entire battle. One battle after another. One problem after another. You guys saying, that sounds like my life. I don't get out of one problem before I'm in another problem. And it seems like my life is this vicious cycle of problem after problem after problem. And here is the difference between Joshua and some of us is that he never gave up. Let me set this up for you. We're going to start reading in Joshua chapter 1. It's in your outline. It's going to be on the screens. Is that the children of Israel, they're on the verge of crossing over into the promised land. For 40 years, they've been wandering around in the wilderness. And now they come up and they're ready to cross the Jordan River. And they know that they're about to possess this promise, this land that God told their forefathers that they would one day inherit. And I'd like you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, and let's begin reading. It says, After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross into the Jordan, into the land that I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, to all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people. Go through the camp and tell the people. Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. You stop there. Give me your attention. God said to Joshua, you got a tremendous future ahead of you. God is going to do great things in your life, but it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. God also said, you have to take possession of what I want to give you. Here's the land I want to give you. You can see it. It's on the other side of the Jordan. Go and take it. God is looking at you today and he's saying, I have an amazing future for you. I have amazing plans for you, but you need to go and possess it. You need to go and take it. What does the future hold? What will the future hold for your life? The answer to that is that it's going to be a mix. It's going to be a mixture of blessings and battles. God says to you, I have great things that I want to do in your life. I have things that you haven't even thought of that I want to do in your life, but you need to go and possess it. You need to go and take hold of those things. See, your past 
It's just a prologue. It's the forward to this epic story that God wants to begin writing in your life. God has an amazing future for you. And the things that happened before, this is just the forward. It's just the beginning. You see? And you can possess your future. You can possess the amazing future that God has for you. And the way that you do it is by doing the three things that God told Joshua to do to possess his future. You see, in Joshua chapter 1, God gives Joshua a pep talk. He says, hey, I know you're going to go through some battles for the next 20 years. But I want to encourage you. I want you to do these three things. These things will sustain you through life. If you do these three things, it will impact your life. Twice in this chapter, God uses the word success. And God says, if you, if you will do these things, I guarantee success. God is telling you and he's telling me, I want to guarantee success in your life. Do you want that guarantee? Do you want God to guarantee success in your life? Yes, right? I want you to say it with me. I want success in my life. Say it like you mean it. I want success in my life. See, his strategy for success, his strategy for possessing your future, it's simple, but it's profound. So if you really want it, like you just said it, here are God's three keys to possessing success, possessing your future. The first thing is you got to set up a plan. It's the first filling in your outline. Set up a plan. God says you've got to plan for your future. It's God's plans. He has a plan for your life. If you're going to be like God, you got to learn how to plan. You need to plan for your future because this is where you're going to spend the rest of your life. In your future, not in your past, not in your present. You're going to spend the rest of your life in your future. And if you don't plan it, somebody else will. I'll say that again. If you don't plan your future, someone else will plan it for you. My wife taught me this. There are days when I don't want to do anything, when I have no plans, right? It's my day off or I'm tired or whatever. And I wake up and she can tell because I, I, I didn't take a shower. I'm walking around in my pajamas and she looks at me and she's like, hey, Mark. I'm like, hey, babe. And she's like, what are, we, what are you doing today? Nothing. She goes, wait. And she has my plans ready for me in her back pocket, in her iPhone. And she starts saying, you know, for the past 13 months, I've been telling you that the locks in the house aren't really working well. There's a hole in the boy's room that they threw something at the wall and made a hole. You know, we need to paint the doors of the house. She has my plans. When I don't have plans, the plans are waiting for me. On December 22nd, guess what I did? I didn't wrap gifts. I didn't, like, you know, drink some eggnog and watch football or something. No. What I wanted to do was stay in my pajamas, eat Doritos, and watch SportsCenter all day. That didn't happen. All right. I went to Ace Hardware Store. I bought like six locks, and I changed all the locks in my house. All right? In your life... Oh, thank you. In your life, if you don't plan, you know who has a plan for your life? The devil does. The enemy does. If you're just like, you know, I'm just going with the flow. I'm just going to see what happens in 2013. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 1.8, that the devil, your enemy, goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to destroy. All right? And my son, Caleb, he's a, he's a little bit of a nerd, okay? In a good way, I guess. He likes to watch Animal Planet, and, and he'll pick that, the Discovery Channel, over like any cartoon, over anything. 
All right, he'll watch Animal Planet. And so I've been watching a lot of Animal Planet and Discovery Channel. And I noticed something about the lion in my old age. Is that the lion, the king of the jungle, he doesn't go out hunting and, and killing the strong animals. The women go out. They kill the animal. And then the lion shows up and shoes the women out and eats the food. All right? He gets the easy prey. And if you don't have a plan in your life, you know what that makes you? Easy prey. For the enemy, for the devil that's out, roaring like a lion. There's a reason why Peter says that the enemy is roaring like a lion. It's because if you have a plan, if you're running after God, if you're trying to achieve all the goals that you've set out for your life, there's no way that he can catch you. He doesn't even want to come near you. But you keep living your life without a plan and you're just bait for the enemy. We read in verse 2 and 3 that the Lord told Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you... And all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As, a, as I promised to Moses. Circle that, this word. Get ready. God says get ready for the future. Prepare for the future. You must prepare to possess what God has promised. And what is Joshua's response to God's command? It says in verse 11. So Joshua ordered the people. Get your supplies ready. The future belongs to the person who prepares for it. You've got to have a plan. Successful people. You know what separates successful people from normal people? They have a plan. Plan for your future. Do you do that? Are you making plans for your life right now? Are you making plans for 2013? Are you thinking about what is, what is my spiritual life going to be like? What is my family life going to be like? What is my career going to be like in this new year? Have you thought about it? Have you written it down? Do it. On the back of your connection card, there's a challenge. You know what? Set a plan for 2013. Check that off on the back of your connection card. We're going to send you an email this week with a couple different ways that you can begin to set successful, attainable goals in this coming year. You see, God says, don't drift through life. Stop drifting through life. Do you want to be successful? Then get ready. Plan. Make your life count. Don't go through life unexamined. Look at where you're going. Set up a plan. Notice in Joshua 1, God starts off this whole conversation, and he says what? Moses, my servant, is dead. Underline this. Moses, my servant, is dead. One of the ways that you prepare for your future is to let go of your past. Let go of your past. Joshua and Moses, this wasn't easy for Joshua. Joshua and Moses were super close. Joshua was serving Moses. He was his underling, his understudy for 80 years. And now Moses was dead. How do you imagine? Joshua's like mourning the death of of his hero, of his teacher, of the man that he probably thought, there's no way that I can ever replace this man. And God said, hey, are you ready to be the leader? Are you ready to be act two? And I'm sure Joshua felt a little bit nervous. It's obvious because God keeps repeating the same things. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. He repeats stuff to him over and over. And I'm sure that Joshua's like freaking out. He's probably crying. God knows what was going on there. But you know what? God said, I have a plan for your life. And many times we let the past relationships in our life keep us from possessing our future. It may have been a death or a divorce or a friend that moves away. Maybe you're still saying, how can I gain the approval of this person in my past? And God says, you know what? You don't need to gain the approval of any person. You have my approval. I approve of you. God wants to work in your life and do great things in your life. And you will never possess the future as long as you're living in the past. 
You will never possess your future as long as you're living in your past. Some of you are still hanging on to past relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends that did you wrong, and you're still clinging to that stuff. You know what God said? Moses is dead. It's over. He's buried. Moses was dead, but God is not dead. God was not dead. God had a plan for Joshua's life that went far beyond what Moses did and what Moses was going to do. And he said, you know what? Let go of the past. God is telling you today, let go of your past. What is it that you need to bury? See, Joshua buried Moses. He, he, he let go of Moses and said, God, I'm going to follow you. How do you need to prepare yourself for 2013? What is it that you need to let go? You see, Proverbs 20:18 says, don't go charging into battle without a plan. Proverbs 13, 16 says that a wise man thinks ahead. The first key to possessing your future is to set a plan. Evaluate yourself. And if, we, and if I ask you with one word, describe what your plan is for next year. One word. Would it be none? Or not yet? Or minimal? My plans are minimal. They're vague. Or, or can you say, honestly say, I've prayerfully planned and written out goals for 2013. God said to Joshua, set up a plan. And he's telling you today, plan your life. The second thing that we need to do to possess our future is stay in the word. God says to Joshua, you're going to be in battles for the next 20 years. You're going to be fighting. And the Bible is your instruction manual for conflict. It is the manual for the battles of your life. Notice in verse 7 that God says, be careful to obey all of the law. Not what's easy, not what's convenient. Obey all of it. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Underline, do not turn for the right or to the left. You know what God is saying here? Don't get sidetracked. Have you noticed how easy it is to get sidetracked today as a Christian? To get off into other things that just aren't really that important. They don't really matter. They're trivial. I see people coming to church all the time. And they're so excited for Christ. They get baptized you know, they're here for a little while, and then they get sidetracked. Sometimes it's good stuff that happens. You know, all of a sudden, they, their career changes, or, or, you know, something else takes more importance, something like sports, or a hobby, or a financial difficulty, sometimes an illness, or maybe they have more kids. Whatever it is, somehow they lose their focus in the Word of God. They lose their focus on the Lord. You know, a couple years ago, a friend of mine that I've known for many years calls me up and says, Hey, man, uh, we're having big marriage problems, and I need to talk to you. You're the only one I could trust. And he told me this whole thing, and, and I'm like, All right, come over. And, 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 you know, I was new as a pastor, and, and so I started preparing myself for, like, different scenarios. I, I prepared myself for adultery. I prepared myself for maybe dealing with violence in the home or or, you know, a, a whole series of, of different problems that couples can go through. Because when, when they came, I really wanted to be able to help them. And, and so when they came to my house, I, we started eating. And, and then I, I started talking to them. And, and I'm like, uh, you know, so, so tell me a little bit about your life. You know, uh, how, how, do you guys pray together? Um, how often do you read the Bible? How many times a month do you go to church? And, and their response was, Mark, God is the most important thing in our life. We love God. And, and, you know, the problem is we're just so busy. And, and immediately I knew what the problem was, but, but I said, well, then what's your problem? And he's like, well, we're always fighting about the same thing. And I'm like, okay, sounded easy to that point because I'm like, okay. 
And, and, and I'm like, so what is it? And it's like, you know, every day when he gets home, he goes straight to the couch. He puts on his little headset and he plays video games. And I'm like, well, you know, is it for like 20 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour? She's like, no, all night. He eats dinner in front of the, the TV playing video games. You know, sometimes he doesn't even come to bed. We've had to replace his, his little headset two times because he falls asleep and he drools all over it and it breaks. And I'm like, whoa. I almost started laughing, but I'm trying to control myself as they're telling me this problem, this big problem that they have. And, and, and I looked at him and, and I'm like, dude, you're literally committing adultery with your Xbox. It could happen. And I'm like, not only are you cheating on your wife, you're cheating on God. You're telling me you love God, God's the most important thing in your life, and you have no time for God, yet you're spending countless hours in front of a TV, playing video games with 14-year-olds, all right, over the internet. Don't allow anything to get in the way of your relationship with God. Some of you are going to get sidetracked spiritually in 2013. You're going to wash out, and I hope this wouldn't be the case, but... The reality is that, that, that it will happen. And you know why? Because you didn't stay in the word of God. You didn't make a commitment. You know what? 2013, I always say I'm going to do it. And I, and I didn't do it. And, 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 and God, uh, I tried. And, and you're making all these excuses. I'm going to read through the entire Bible. But you never set a plan. How are you going to do it? This is another opportunity for you to take a next step today. On the back of your connection card is read through the Bible in 2013. And, and I'll send you an email with different ways that you can do it. And let me tell you something. It's real easy nowadays. All right? Those of you that have iPhones, all right? Um, on your iPhone, you could download an app. It's called YouVersion. Y-O-U version. And it's free. And you put, I want to read my Bible in a year. You know what happens? It gives you a study plan. All right? Those of you that have Androids, yes, they have it for you too. You know, unfortunate souls. Um, it, it works on there too. Um, and you could download it and begin reading your Bible. Here's the thing. You know what? Life happens. It happens to me. And you're sick or a kid's sick or you fall asleep on the couch or whatever and you forget. The next day or two days later, four days later, you, you haven't been reading your Bible. You get like, you know, convicted. And there's this button that says catch up. And you hit that button and brrr, this little thing happens. And you catch up and you pick up right where you left off. And by the end of the year, you made a commitment with God. You're in the word of God and you've read through the entire Bible and you don't get sidetracked. The Bible keeps us walking in a straight line. I love the way that scripture says it is that the word of God keeps us aligned. And you know how you do that. It's easy. It's right here. Don't let it depart from your mouth. It's a filling in your outline. Don't let the word of God depart from your mouth. Talk about God. Okay, we're so busy going achievement and gossip and talking about what we saw last night on TV, what the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Oh, my gosh, did you see that? That lady's crazy with the one with the little forehead and all that stuff. All right. Talk about Jesus. Talk about what God's doing in your life. Talk about how God gave you an amazing family, amazing children, an amazing husband, an amazing wife. Talk about your struggles and say, you know what? Things are going bad right now, but I'm keeping my faith in God. All right, things in work are crazy, but you know what? We have to trust in God. Keep the word of God in your mouth. The second thing is meditate on it day and night. Think about God. Think about the word of God. You know, when someone cuts you off in the, in the road, our first reaction is that, that, bleep, 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 bleep. All right, say, hey, you know what, God? Help me out because I want to kill this guy. Just keep God in your thoughts. Keep God in your mind. Okay? Think about God. 
And the last thing is to be careful to do everything that is written in it. Be sure to do and obey it. Live the word of God. And what does it mean to stay in the word? It means to talk about it, think about it, and live it. Real simple. Say it. Talk about it, think about it, and live it. All right? That's how we stay in the word of God. And if we do these things, God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a blank check. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God says, you obey this premise and I will fulfill the promise. Think about the word of God. Talk about the word of God. Live the word of God and watch God begin to bless your life. This doesn't only apply to Joshua. It applies to you. And like I was saying that the word of God straightens you out in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says that the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. And it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. It straightens us out. It helps us do what is right. God will straighten you out. It shows you your path. You're wondering why, why you're walking around life all banged up, all crooked. You know what? The word of God will straighten you out. The word of God will heal your life. It's good doctrine for reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that men and women would be found complete and whole in the presence of God. The Bible says that the God's word is food for our soul. There's times in life we're walking around empty, we're walking around sad, and you know why? It's because we're not filling ourselves with the word of God. You know, we need to set up a plan. We need to stay in the word. And God says that this is what I'm going to do in your life. He will teach us what is true. He will help us realize what is wrong, and he will straighten us out. Spurgeon, the great evangelist, once said that a Bible which is coming apart is usually owned by someone who is not. A Bible that is coming apart is usually owned by someone who is not. Usually, your Bible's coming apart, or you are. It's your choice. If you want to be successful, if you want to possess your future, you've got to set up a plan, and you've got to stay in the Word. And the third thing is you need to step out in faith. I like this word, step out. In faith because it is an action. A lot of people think that faith is just something that you believe. Faith is more than just mental approval. It's more than just knowing. It is an action. You see, I can believe that a plane will fly. The other day, I, I flew to California and back. And, and, and for me, that's a really long flight. And, and you know what? Um, my son is scared of flying. He, he doesn't want to get in, in the plane. And, and he's saying, Papi, you know, I know a plane can fly. I'm just scared, you know, I, I want, and I said, Papi, you could know that a plane could fly, but if you don't get inside of the plane and commit yourself to this plane, you're not going to get where you want to go. He wants to go to Cars Land in, in Disneyland in California. I'm like, I'll take you there, but you got to get on the plane. He wants to go to the Sequarium in Atlanta. And I'm like, I'll take you there, but you got to get on a plane. You see, God's telling you, I want to take you there, but you need to get on the plane. You need to possess it. You need to take it. You need to step out in faith. People say, I believe in Jesus. You know what? So what? I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's like, oh, I really like this girl. I'm like, is she a Christian? She believes in Jesus. You know what? If you just believe in Jesus, you know what that makes you? That makes you exactly like the devil. The Bible says that the devil believes in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus and tremble. Faith means that you commit yourself. You step out in faith because faith is an action. 
See, three times in this passage, there's this phrase that says, be strong and courageous. In verse 6, 7, and 9, God is telling Joshua, I know it's going to be tough, but be strong and courageous. I know there are going to be times that you want to quit, but be strong and courageous. I know there's going to be times they're going to punch you in the face, but be strong and courageous. And God says this to Joshua three times. Get the message, Joshua. There's going to be a lot of things in your life that distract you, that discourage you, but be strong and courageous. Step out in faith. Let me give you a little bit of background, of, of a little more deep into what's happening right now in the life of Joshua, in the life of the Israelites. This is their second opportunity to cross the Jordan. Forty years before, before they were wandering in the desert, they had a chance to cross the Jordan and they didn't step out in faith. And Israel's now in this second opportunity. And they know that the moment that they cross in to possess the land, there are seven other nations that are stronger than them, that are more armed than them, that are more experienced in battle than them, that are ready to take them on. They're ready to beat them up. That as soon as they cross that river, all hell is going to break loose. Israel, for the last 400 years, there were slaves They were farmers, they were just wives, they were children. They didn't have an army, they weren't trained in battle. But you know what? God said, be strong and be courageous. And he says, they're going to try to tear you down, but they won't because I will be with you. And you know what gave Joshua confidence? Is that God was telling him to do these things. In verse 9, remember, I have commanded you, God has commanded you to be determined and confident Circle this next part. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Afraid or discouraged. For the Lord, for, for I the Lord am with you wherever you go. You're going to go. You're not ready for battle, but I'm going to be with you. What Joshua had his confidence to move ahead was because God was the one that said, remember who you're doing this for. You're doing this for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're on assignment from the Almighty God. Who do you think is telling you to do this? If I told you to do it, I am going to be with you. And that's the awesome thing about being in God's will. And many of us say, you know, I just want to do God's will for 2013. If you do the will of God, if you run after God, you know what? He will give you the power to do it. God has never sponsored a failure. God is saying, I am going to be with you. Just step out in faith. And I told you to circle the words afraid and discouraged. These are the two biggest enemies of us possessing our future, that will prevent us from possessing our future. This is like the devil's left, right. This is like Satan's biggest way of getting us from accomplishing what God is calling us to accomplish. This fear and discouragement keeps us from getting started. See, a lot of us say, I don't even want to try. I can never do that. Discouragement keeps us from continuing. Discouragement keeps us from finishing. This is this double whammy. That Satan uses us to rob us of the future that God has for us. And God is saying, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The thing that I like the most about Joshua is that he was a man of courage. And what is courage? I actually brought a video um, for you. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Don't show it yet. Let me set it up. All right. um, On Friday, I took my kids to the zoo. All right. And, And my two boys... They act tough, you know, they try to like impress me and stuff and and they want to pet the animals and feed the animals and stuff. And then we went to this other part of the zoo and there was this like 40 foot gigantic inflatable slide. 
And I'm like, hey, do you guys want to slide down the thing? I go, Poppy, we're not sure. It's so high. Can you go up there with us? And I'm like, buddy, if I go up there, that thing's going to deflate. All right? <laughs> um, but, but you can go. And, and I paid like 10 bucks, and, and it's a ripoff, but, you know, I just wanted them to learn a lesson in life. And, and so I'm like, just do it, buddy. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And he's like, oh, Bobby, I'm scared. It took him forever to walk all the way up. And check out this video. I'm chewing gum, by the way, excuse me, in the video. There he is. Come on, Kalo, get down. Did you hear him? That was awesome. I want to do it again. He conquered it. He was courageous. You see, courage is not not having fear. I hope that makes sense. Being courage doesn't mean that you're not scared of anything. Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fear. You see, a lot of you, there's this amazing thing that God wants you to do. The promised land is right there. It's for you to take. It's just like Caleb sliding down that slide. And you saw how, whoa, this is awesome. I want to do it again. That's the type of life God wants you to have. He wants you to conquer your fear so that in the end you can say, that's awesome. I want to do it again. Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fear. In fact, if you don't have fear, that means you don't have any courage. You don't need courage. Courage is moving ahead in spite of what you fear. In, in spite of, man, you know what? There's someone in your job that, that could really use prayer or they could really use to hear a Bible verse or, or have you talk to them about Christ and, and you're scared. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. It's a little weird. You know, I wonder if they're going to tell my boss. You know, and there's this fear. But you conquer that fear. You go and you talk to them. That's being courageous. You know, being courageous is saying, hey, there's this promotion and I know I'm not completely qualified, but I'm a hard worker. And I'm a trust God. And you take that step of faith. It's this project that you need to do. It's this person that you need to talk to. And you conquer it. You're brave. See, literally, in this story, the children of God had to step out in faith. In chapter 3, when they came up to the Jordan River, it was springtime. Okay, the Jordan River was about 100 feet wide in normal days. Not in the springtime because it was flood time. All right, and it's usually like 20 feet deep where they were going to cross, but it was flood time, so it was even deeper than that, okay? And God said, you know what? Get the priest, get the preachers, get the people that work in the church, and tell them to get the Ark of the Covenant, and I want them to go in first, all right? He didn't say, I'm going to dry it up, and then they go in. He said, just walk in, okay? So this river's flooding, Okay, there's water everywhere, there's fish everywhere, and they're carrying this giant box, and they walk in, and they walk in, and there's water up to their ankles, there's water up to their knees, there's probably water up to their chest, and they're probably crying out to God, and they say, God, you said you were going to dry this thing up, but here's what God did. God stopped the water, but he didn't stop it there, like in the Moses movie where he parts the Red Sea. No, he stopped it 17 miles away. And he stopped the water, and they had to step out in faith. See, sometimes God tells us to step out in faith, and immediately we don't see results. And many times, what do we do? We run back. They could have ran back and wandered for another 40 years in the desert, but they stepped out in faith. They took action, and they walked in. 
And slowly but surely, that water started drying up. Maybe right now in your life, God has told you to step out in faith. And there's, you're like, God, I'm stepping out in faith, but nothing's happening. Madness is all around me. My life is still a mess. It's still going crazy. Just trust in God. Trust in the Lord. Trust that he is the one that is saying, be strong and courageous. Go and possess the land that I have for you. Maybe you've been waiting for a miracle in your life and you're praying and you're faithful and you're doing everything right. God's stopping the water, but it's 17 miles away. And maybe what God is waiting for is for there just to be the right person at the right time to be there to see this miracle happen. Sometimes we're so selfish and self-centered that God, we just want it for me. And God wants to be glorified through your life. And he wants to do amazing things like we said earlier that you haven't even thought of. Just trust in the Lord. Step out in faith. The Bible says in Joshua 3.15 that as soon as the priest stepped into the river, the water stopped flowing and piled up. You see, sometimes the first step is the hardest step. You know, those of you that have graduated and and you've gone to school, you know, you're writing that essay and the first sentence. Why is the first sentence always the hardest one? When when I'm writing a message, the hardest part is my intro. What am I going to talk about in the beginning? Some of you think, oh, I just thought you made this up in the morning. And and man, it takes me hours sometimes to think about what what life event has happened in my life that will make me look kind of dumb, that will help people understand the word of God. All right? And, and the hardest part is just me thinking because the rest, I've read through the Bible several times. I, I studied the Bible. And so coming up with the other stuff is not super easy, but it's a little easy. Sometimes the first step is the hardest step. Those of you that play sports, you know, when you get hit the first time, it's like, ah. But then after, they're banging you up the whole game and you don't even feel it. Sometimes that first hit, that first step is the hardest step spiritually as well. What is your Jordan River? What is that thing that you need to cross, that you need to overcome to reach the promised land? You see, I think what I admire the most about Joshua is that he was a man of conviction. He was willing to stand alone for what was right. He was willing to go against the popular opinion. He was willing to do the unexpected, the unusual, the not normal thing. Even when society said, do this, he said, no, that's not the way to do it. He was a man of conviction. You see, the Bible says that 40 years before this moment, Moses chose 12 spies. He chose 12 spies to go into the promised land and spy out the land to see what's going on in there. And 10 of the spies came back and said, there is no way that we can cross the Jordan. There is no way that we can go over there. The people are like giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And the people of Israel heard these 10 spies and they said, yes, that's right. We can't do it. But there was two men that said, we can do it. We can. And their name was Joshua and Caleb. And they said, we will be ready to eat them like bread. We will crush them because God said that we can do it. Yet the children of Israel believed the 10 spies And you know what ended up happening in those 40 years? All those people that didn't trust God, that didn't believe in God, died. And the only two adults that entered the promised land were Caleb and Joshua. You see, about seven years ago, um, 
doctors told my wife and I that we could probably not have kids. And uh, that was one of the toughest things as a person, as a parent, as a couple to hear that, that you can't have kids. And we have been trying for a year. And I, I've been talking about my kids. You saw videos, so it's obvious that we've had kids. But my first two kids are boys, and, and their names are Caleb and Joshua. And uh, where man said that it couldn't happen, God said, yes, it could happen. And every time I look at those boys, I remember that God can make it happen. Where doctors said, professionals said, there's no way that this could happen. God said it could happen. There's things in your life right now that you're like, there's no way that I could conquer that. There's no way that I could possess that future. And God is saying, yes, I can Some of you are saying, I don't know why I should step out. I feel pretty comfortable right now. I don't really know what my life would be like if I possess my future, if I walk into the promised land. Some of you are like, I'm just too old for this, Mark. You know how old Joshua was when God called him? He was 80 years old. And God said, you're going to cross the Jordan River and it's not going to be easy. There's going to be battles. You're going to be fighting for 20 years. God is telling you today, it's never too late to possess the land, to enter into that land, into that life that God wants to give you. You know, I think the verses that that best reveal Joshua is, is at the end of his life, Joshua 24, 15, he says this, choose for yourself this day who you will serve. The people that were gathered around him, had entered the promised land. You guys choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Men, husbands in this room, leaders in this room, have you made that decision in your home? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't say as for me and my house, we'll show up to church every once in a while. It says we will serve the Lord. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that my children are serving God. My kids are four and five, and I show up here early on Sunday mornings. And when they could be home, playing video games, running around in their underwear, many times they're here on Sunday mornings folding bulletins and getting those, those uh, outlines that you have in your hand ready to go. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I thank the greeters and ushers that, that allow them to do this because it probably takes a little longer. But we're training these boys to be servants of the Lord. Have you made that commitment in your life? Have you thought about what kind of person are you going to be 365 days from now? Will people look at you and say, this is a man or woman that is successful. This is someone that's succeeding. This is someone that is possessing their future. Another thing that Joshua did right before they entered into the promised land, right before they crossed this river and experienced a miracle from God. Joshua 3, 5, it says, Then Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow God will do amazing things among you. Guys, we're about to cross into a brand new year, a fresh start, and God is telling you today, Consecrate yourself. Get your life right with, with me. Get your lives right with God, because tomorrow, amazing things, things are going to happen. Amazing things will happen tomorrow. But you got to get your life right with God. You got to consecrate yourself. What are those things that are not allowing you to do that? 
you're here today and you know what they are. I may not know what they are. The person next to you may not know what they are. But God knows what they are and you know what they are. And I believe that every single one of us can have the best year possible in 2013 if we were just brave enough, if we just had the courage to take it, to step out in faith into that Jordan River and enter into the promised land. See, maybe you're here today, and, and, and there's actually something real cool. It's not in my message, but it's the second service, so I could extend it just like two more minutes. You know, the name Joshua means deliverer, right? And like thousands of years later when, when Jesus was born, the angel said, and you will name him, his name will be what? Joshua, Yeshua. That's Joshua in Hebrew, Jesus in Greek, deliverer. Joshua delivered the children of Israel into the promised land. And Joshua, our Savior, Jesus, our Savior, can deliver you this morning if you would just trust him. See, there's some of you here today, I'm going to ask George and the band to come out. And I want to give you an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. To tell Jesus, you know what? I've been living my life however I want. I haven't been planning. My life is falling apart. I've tried everything this world has to offer, but today, I want to try you. I want you to deliver me. I want you to bring me into the promised land. You see, and one thing I love about Jesus, he gives us eternal life, and we all want that. We all want to live forever with Jesus in heaven, but it's not just heaven. Jesus said when he was here on earth that the kingdom of God is now. He wants us to have success and be happy and be full and complete right now. Stop living an empty life, a purposeless life, and start living for Christ. If you're here today and you're ready to make that decision to give your life to Jesus, as George and the band, we're, we're going to sing Cornerstone again. If you're ready to say that, that God Jesus, you're the cornerstone of my life. I want to stand on you so that when my world is falling apart, I will be safe. I just want to invite you to just come up here and pray. And I'm going to pray for you. And I promise you, your life will never be the same. Let's all stand and sing together. And if you're here and you came with someone that you know that they need to cross the Jordan River, they need to cross into the promised land. Let me tell you something. Families walked across hand in hand into the promised land. Friends walked across hand in hand into the promised land. Walk hand in hand with your friends, with your family, into the promise of Jesus today. And as they sing, I just invite you to come forward. Come forward and take hold of your future. Take hold of your promise. God will change your life forever. Christ alone. Sing it out. Christ alone. Christ alone. Cornerstone. We can make strong. In the Savior 
But maybe some of you up here today that, that this is your first time, the first time that with all of your heart, you're really telling God, God, I surrender everything. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior to forgive me. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray this prayer out loud with me to encourage them. Pray with me and say, dear God, I come to you today and I say, I'm sorry for the mistakes that I've done, for the sin in my life. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I am yours and you are mine forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. And now I want to pray for you. Dear God, I pray.